Wow, hey, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 4. Grace kids, you are dismissed. Thank you, wife. Grace kids, you're dismissed. Have a great lesson. In here, we're turning to Hebrews 4. We're going to be talking today about God's rest. God's rest. While you're turning there, I'm just going to say a few things. You know, the human life demands rest. It commands it, actually. No matter if you're a first responder or if you're in the medical profession or if you've ever had to work a double shift, we know what those hours are like. All human life will need rest. So we cannot maintain a certain level of energy for long periods of time, can we? We cannot sustain uh, ourselves beyond what the body and mind can handle. Rest is inevitable. It is inevitable. Working really hard in our yards all day long will bring us to a point where we have to sit and have physical rest. Uh, same thing if we're working out or going for a run. The body is going to require uh, rest. Students who are struggling with studying for and taking exams, they will need mental rest. I think we've all been there. Even people who are wrapped up in emotional drama need rest. It can be physical. It can be mental. It can be emotional. And yes, it can be spiritual. So rest is everything to the body, to the mind, and to the heart. And this is how you and I understand rest. This is how we understand it. But today I want to talk about God's rest for each of us and how we find our ultimate rest, what we call our Sabbath rest, in Jesus. And how we can tap into our future rest in Jesus in the here and now. Because a lot of people think it's only future. You can tap into that here and now. Look at Hebrews 4. Let's read the first four verses together. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Let's talk about the realization here. The verse starts with this, the promise of entering his rest still stands. That'll be very important to remember. Um, the problem, though, and yes, there is a problem, is that there's a reality. And from the time of Moses, which the author is speaking of here, from the time of Moses to present day, we may fall short of the standard that God has for us entering heaven. Now, I'm going to dive deeper into that. Don't hold me to that right now. Well, what's pastor saying? This verse is going to take us all the way back to the Old Testament exodus and the story of the promised land because it says the good news came. It came to them just as it came to the author of Hebrews, 
just as it came to his audience, just as it has come to you and me. But who is them? Well, the Bible is talking about the nation of Israel, God's people. But doubt destroyed them. Disbelief destroyed their faith. They rejected God because they did not believe he could do what he said he would do. And this was that first time of entering the promised land, if you remember. They did not believe God could do what he said he would do. So what they heard was of no benefit to them. They were not united with the others who listened those who had faith in the God who had given them their freedom from bondage, who'd given them their freedom, providing them for a new life outside of bondage. So to the others, he said, they shall not enter my rest. And that is why I said earlier that we may fall short of the standard God has for us entering heaven. He says, my rest. God's words, not my, my rest. You know, it's not that God was tired at all. In fact, let me read this to you. Genesis 2, 2 and 3. Genesis 2, 2 and 3 says, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So he rested. Again, I got to reiterate, it's not that God was tired from his work. Like we have come to know rest, like in my introduction, that's kind of the rest we know. His rest represents completion. It represents satisfaction. It represents perfection. It symbolizes spiritual fulfillment. That is God's rest. It's not a rest from exhaustion like we face. So he finished his work. Now he waits for us, church family, he's waiting for us to enter heaven into his rest. But only those who believe, only those who believe will enter his rest. Now the Israelites, they did not enter his rest, which was in the form of entering the promised land. That was Canaan. Remember they sent in spies and the spies came back and they started spreading like wildfire these rumors and lies about how they couldn't take the people and Joshua stood, I mean, you remember he came up and said, no, we can take them, we can take them. It's like, no, 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 they're too big, they're too mighty, we can't. Fortified cities, we can't. They looked at all the, 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 the size of the, the fortresses and the people and said, we got to limit our God, there's no way he can do this. So they rejected God. And that was the form of entering the promised land under the leadership of Moses. They would spend a total of 40 years in the wilderness, a total of 40 years out in the wilderness. Again, disbelief and disobedience are why the Israelites did not enter the promised land. Fear, right, limiting their God, not believing. They had no faith, so they rejected God. Now, at the end of the 40 years, they would indeed enter the land. Uh, that was promised. We're going all the way back to Abraham to this promise. So they would enter this promised land 40 years later, right? And um, at this time, it'd be under the leadership of Joshua, who said he could take it 40 years prior. So I guess what I want to say here is that let's look at the promised land. Let's use that 
and Israel to illustrate a very important point, very elementary, very simple, but a very important point about divine rest. Again, I'm going to say it again. He is waiting for us, and that's exciting. He's waiting for us. So if the result of disbelief and disobedience to God is exclusion from His rest, if it's exclusion from entering the promised land, then it must mean the result of true faith and faithfulness to God, accepting Him at His word, is the result of entering the promised land, entering His rest. And that's how we have to look at this example. It illustrates another point, too, in the comparison of of the Exodus generation that we're talking about and the church, the church universal. Here it is. We both received the good news, folks. We both received good news. Uh, We received the divine uh, proclamation of deliverance, okay? Um, Both in this text were called to respond. Both were called to respond in faith, as well as the church and the Exodus generation. We are called to respond in faith. The Exodus generation, though, they did not receive the promised benefit. Why? Because they failed to respond in faith. We see that in Scripture. They failed to respond. That is what happened. That is exactly what happened. And this, uh, this failure, it brings humanity a great warning. Not the Christian, but humanity a great warning in disbelief and disobedience. See, there was deliverance from Egypt. There was um, the establishment of his covenant with his people. There was the hope of uh, uh, entering Canaan, having a home. All of this was part of the good news of their deliverance. This was about their deliverance. But this proclamation was made to them, just like our proclamation of deliverance in Jesus Christ is made to us. Both have to respond in faith. So, there were those who heard and those who listened, but both heard, right? But again, only some listened, and these are the ones who were united in faith. These were united in faith. That was the difference, folks. That was the difference. It was faith, how they responded to what God said He would do. And faith is important. Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. See, the land of Canaan, it would have been spiritual rest. It would have been physical and mental rest. It would have been emotional rest. The promise of rest was theirs for the taking. But they were unwilling to take hold of it. Now, the wilderness generation, rest was more than just a theological metaphor, okay? You have to look at what they went through. For the wilderness generation, it's more than just a metaphor. It represented an end, an end to the wandering that characterized their life after the exodus. After all that time of wandering, don't you think they wanted a home, a place they could call home? Don't you think they wanted peace, a place where they could be protected 
and find sustenance, of course, that equates to rest. See, the promised rest reflects God's own rest after he finished uh, creating the world. It reflects this. It was what we, it's what we call a type. And what I mean by that is Israel's rest, right, looking at Israel's rest, it was pointing to something much greater uh, than what <clears throat> much greater than what it actually was for us. So we look at Israel's rest, but we can look at something much greater that's coming. Okay, it was what we call a type. Now, like our very first state, a very first, first stated, and I gotta repeat this, the promise of entering his rest, well, it still stands. It still stands. That's why we're not done here with entering the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. We're not done there. The promise still stands. That was a type for us to see that something greater is coming. So let's look at our next section. Everybody, you're in Hebrews 4. Let's pick up in verse 5 through 11. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward. In the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And that's powerful. See, the previous chapter in Hebrews, chapter 3, it speaks to God's rest as well, his rest for his people. Uh, and it brings us right into chapter 4. So it seems that the author here of Hebrews is dealing with people that are facing temptations, people that are being tested. Uh, most likely it's people that are uh, turning back to their old ways, uh, which is exactly what the Israelites did when they were first going to enter Canaan. So it's obviously that something is not uh, right with the audience that the Hebrews author is addressing. So he points to Joshua, looking to Scripture. It is obvious that after settling in the promised land under Joshua, that this rest was not ultimate. It was not final. It was not the final rest, was it? Because we can look at the history of Israel, folks, the history of Israel. We can see this up and down, up and down, all throughout Scripture where they turn from God. Folks, we can see this right now with what Israel is going through, and we pray for them. We can see this right now with what they're going through. The author even points to David. He points to David, and he's quoting from Psalm 95 when he says this. In fact, the book of Hebrews speaks to the text in chapter 3, about David in Psalm 95. Uh, in fact, let's read it together. Hebrews 3, I think they're going to put it up for us, 7 through 11. Hebrews 3, 7 through 11 says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 
years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Again, this comes from King David in Psalm 95. So, so, by characterizing the promised land as God's rest, and, and, and the Israelites not entering his rest, God must have appointed another moment of opportunity to enter this rest. If it wasn't with Moses, and it wasn't with Joshua, and it wasn't with David, and the audience listening to the author of Hebrews said, today if you hear his voice, obviously this still stands. There must be another appointed opportunity. So think about it. After he finished his creation, he rested in his perfection, didn't he? Absolutely. His rest has stretched over history, folks. It has stretched over the patriarchs, the Egyptian enslavement. It has stretched over the exodus and the 40 years in the wilderness. It has stretched over the conquest of Canaan, all the ways to the days of David, all the ways to the author of Hebrews, who again says, today if you hear his voice, It is stretched throughout history to you and I right now where I say the words, today, if you hear his voice. So if the Israelites entering Canaan was the final rest, God would not, God would not have spoken of a day later on like he did through David. And this brings us to our Sabbath rest It brings us to our Sabbath rest. Now, Sabbath obviously means uh, rest from work or to abstain or to cease from work. Um, God did this on the seventh day when he completed his work in creation. In fact, one of the commandments he gave the Israelites was to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. We know that. The Jews, folks, they base their Sabbath day on God's rest in the created order. They base theirs on uh, Saturday, which is the seventh day. We base our Sabbath, the church, on Sunday, the first day, and we do that because of Jesus' resurrection. However, the book of Acts tells us that early Christians met every day. So who is right? Who is right regarding the Sabbath? the observance of the Sabbath. I mean, Colossians, in the Colossians 2, it talks about uh, not passing judgment on food and drink and festivals and new moons and the Sabbath. Don't pass judgment. These are a shadow of things to come because the substance belongs to Christ. And then elsewhere, we look at, 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 at other verses. For instance, Romans 14.5. Romans 14, Romans 14.5 says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Because here's the deal. We are to honor the Lord in the observance of the day. What day? Any day. Every day. It's honoring the Lord because Christ is the substance. Now back to the Israelites. For them, their Sabbath day was to be a day of rest from labor. Not only was their work tough, folks, not only was their work tough, but the Jews were 
always, since the establishment of the law, I guess what I'm trying to say is since the establishment of the law, the Jews were also constantly laboring to follow that law. Not only physical labor, but the labor of following the law. Um, They had to do that to make themselves acceptable to God. They had parameters and rules. They had to follow to be acceptable to God. So they followed ceremonial laws. They followed temple laws. They followed civil law. It was a lot to keep up with. It was a very, a whole lot to keep up with. Now, there were a number of sacrifices and a number of offerings that were in place to bring forgiveness and to restore fellowship with God regarding these laws when they were broken, when they were not fulfilled, right? But this would have to be repeated. This would be repeated time and time again. Just like they would have to start laboring after their one day of rest over and over again. Rinse and repeat. Continued labor. Continued sacrifices. And to add to the problem, if you don't think that's a lot, to add to the problem, the Pharisees added even more rules in keeping the Sabbath. They went crazy. And it must have gotten to the point where any Jewish man, woman, or child was absolutely terrified to even move on the Sabbath. That's how many rules and regulations there were. I don't even want to move a muscle for fear I'm going to break a law. But as I always say, as I always say, here comes Jesus. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. In fact, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know who he's talking to? The very people that are suffering under these endless amount of laws that they just can't keep up with. They were exhausted. Come to me. That's what Jesus is saying. You know, verse 9 in our text says this, and I love this. Verse 9 says, so there, excuse me, so then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains a Sabbath rest. Church family, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. But how? How? Well, just as God's work in creation was complete, so was Jesus' work of redemption on the cross. What did he say on the cross? It is finished. It is finished. His work was complete. Hebrews 10, 12 says that when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, not repeated over and over again, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And what is God doing? God is at rest. His rest. Jesus rested from his work. Not that Christ does not work, folks. He works in providence. He works in intervention. He works in the redemptive process. But he rested from his work in salvation for us. That work was complete. It was perfect. It was perfect. So Christ made it possible to enter God's rest. He made it possible. His eternal perfect rest. We will enter into that. That's what I said, why I said earlier, he's waiting for us. 
How do we know this? We know this because that is God's rest. See, our inheritance waits for us just as God is waiting for us. But do you know something? Do you know that we can have a foretaste of this test? We can, in the here and now, begin to understand what this is. The great Sabbath rest that we will all celebrate upon Jesus' return, we can begin to catch a glimpse of that and understand that rest right here and now in our lives. Now see, the Israelites, they had to labor. They had to labor under the law to be accepted by God. We have Jesus who what? Fulfilled the law. Jesus' all-sufficient sacrifice has removed the labor, and he allows us to take rest in his promises to us. you got to remember the words to what a friend we have in Jesus. This song sings to God's rest. We sing words that represent everything that's being spoken right now. His promises. Folks, we don't strive with uncertainty. Christians, did you hear me? We don't strive with uncertainty worrying about our final destiny. So when it says, let's strive to enter that rest in verse 11, let's strive to enter that rest, it means let's be diligent, let's persevere. That is you and I resting in the sacrifice of Jesus, resting in the promises of Jesus. That's what we're striving towards. We're striving to rest in Christ. That is faith. And guess what faith is? Faith is pleasing to God. We read that. This is the opposite of what the Exodus generation did. That's why it's so profound to bring them up. This is the opposite of what they did. See, we are not persevering and being diligent uh, where we are relying on ourselves. We are not persevering and being diligent when we are relying on our works. No, we are making every effort. We are striving to depend solely on God, to depend solely on God. This is the opposite, the opposite of what they did. Yes, you and I can do some things here. We can do some dangerous things. We can place our trust in someone else. People do it every day. We can place our trust in something else. Happens all the time. We can even place our trust in ourselves. But guess what? Then we are being just as disobedient as the Israelites, which we've been warned about. We can do the same thing. This is exactly what the Israelites did. In fact, Hebrews 4.11 is right there in your text. Look at it. Our very last verse, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What same sort of disobedience are we talking about? The Israelites rejecting God. No faith. He can't do what he promised. No, he can. We want to not fall under that same sort of disobedience. Our God who is at rest from his work in creation. Our God who is at rest from his work in redemption is waiting on us, waiting on you and me to enter his rest. Those who listened, and those who believe. And I believe this church is full of people who have listened and who believe. So knowing Knowing that this future rest is ours in Jesus, how do we tap into this in the here 
and now. Because I want it now, folks. Are you with me? I want this rest now. How can I enter that? Well, this is a daily thing, folks. Daily, we can take everything to the Lord. Or we can choose not to. Daily, we can take everything to the Lord. Our future and final—excuse me, our future and final rest in the Lord involves something great. Our future, future and final rest involve you and I being in the presence of God. Amen. Being in the presence of God. So we are to do that. We are to come into the presence of our God and bring everything to Him. What am I bringing? Well, I'm bringing my sorrows, my burdens, my anxiety, my problems, endless problems, right? Here and now, we can surrender to him. In fact, we can surrender. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And you ready for this? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in who? Christ Jesus. We have to surrender daily the things that are laborious, the things that are labor, that are work. We have to surrender these things in his rest. Remember Matthew 11 that I read earlier? It said that it says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. It said that in the song that we sang, what a friend we have in Jesus. Come to me. Why are we not coming to Christ daily to surrender these things to him when he offers us the promises of this rest? Are we going to act as the Israelites did? That's our warning. We have to have faith to come to Christ. He has made a way for us to come to him and to surrender these things. Looking back to his creation, looking back to his rest and redemption, even the Israelites, when we look back to their rest on the Sabbath, in these things we can draw parallels to the invitation that Jesus gives us to find rest in him. The created order the redemption at the cross, the Israelite Sabbath, they all draw parallels to what Jesus is offering, and that is rest in him. This is spiritual tranquility. This is spiritual renewal. This is spiritual fulfillment. And they come when we surrender. They come when we trust, when we have faith, excuse me, when we have faith in the promises of our God. Did the Israelites have faith in the promises of God with Moses when they first entered or were going to enter that land? No. No. We have to look at texts like that and take it personally. We have to let that uh, be ingrained in our minds and hearts to understand that we too, we too can be disobedient. So we have to have faith in the promises of our God. So this is why it's vital this is why it is vital to set aside time for worship. It's vital to set aside time for meditation and reflection of his word. It's vital to have time to rebuild and to rejuvenate. And we can do this any day, not just on our Sabbath day, 
But we need this time. If you're working hard in the yard, you need time. We know that the body requires sleep. Don't we sleep, some of us, every night or during the day if you work at night? Don't we require that? We can't keep going. The same thing spiritually. Are you waiting for heaven and then you're going to drop all this? No, God says, I'm here now. Here's my promise to you. Don't you have faith that I can take these things if you'll surrender them to me? I want you to experience rest now too. This time with God allows him to provide us with rest that we truly need. And we all established that the human, right? The human needs rest. We know that. God wants to provide us with the rest that we truly need. Now, these are practical ways to observe the Sabbath rest in our crazy and fast-paced world. And it is fast-paced. There's too much we are obligated and responsible for these days. Am I right? There's too much to keep up with. Now, in Acts 15, I want to talk about the Sabbath day for a second. In Acts 15, uh, the Jerusalem council actually met and decided that, decided that keeping the Sabbath was not one of the commands that they thought necessary for the Gentile believers to keep. What I'm saying is this. The Gentiles were now being given the word. And they did not want to trouble the Gentiles because there were a lot of Jewish people saying, you got to do this, 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 this. you got to be circumcised, you got to obey this. And they said, we cannot trouble with them while they're coming to God. We can't trouble them with these things. So the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath, was not one of the things that was passed on. And they thought it was necessary for the Gentile believers to be able to, to come to God first instead of coming to all these rules and regulations first. They wanted them to come to God. Now, we already discussed that any day can be a day of worship, not just Saturday for the Jews, not just Sunday for the Christian, And this is our freedom in Christ, folks. Every day should be a time of worship. Every day. But if you designate one day, church family, act on it. If you designate every day, church family, act on it. Because see, here's the point. Here is the point. He is who we are to come to. He is who we are to come to to find rest, whether it's on a Saturday, a Sunday, a Wednesday night, a Monday morning. Jesus Christ is always there for us. It does not have to be just one day. We are to worship every day. Now, we choose Sunday to come together corporately, and some people choose not to do work on Sundays. More power to you. Some people wish that I want to be with my family and I want to reflect on what the pastor said and I just want to think about it and I want to dwell on that. I want to enjoy what I've learned today and see if I can apply it to my life. That's a beautiful Sunday. Some people say, no, I want to mow my yard. You can't judge them because it's not about the work. It's not about those things. It's about resting in Jesus and bringing honor to the Lord, observing him in those times. See, Jesus, and here it is, folks, and this gets me. Jesus is who satisfied the requirements of the law, satisfied. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice who atoned for our sins, perfection. Jesus is who completed God's plan for rest from our own works and labor, completion. Do you remember earlier when I told you that, that God's rest represented Uh, satisfaction and perfection and completion. It was spiritual fulfillment. Jesus Christ 
is that rest. He satisfied the law. You got your satisfaction. Jesus, he was the perfect, perfect, perfect sacrifice for us. You have your perfection. Jesus, Jesus completed God's work at the cross, bringing us all salvation, redeeming us. You have completion. That is Jesus. He alone, he alone is our daily rest. He alone is our Sabbath rest. He alone is our eternal rest. Christ, Christ is the substance. Not the day. Christ is the substance. You know what? Remember the song we sang? I gotta ask you, why do we forfeit the peace that he wants, to, he wants us to have. The song said that. Why do we forfeit peace when he's offering it? Why, why do we need to bane, uh, bear pain needlessly when he's saying, no, you don't need to do that? Why? Why trials and temptations and troubles and sorrows and weaknesses? The song spoke to all of this. Why do we needlessly bear these things and why do we forfeit his peace when he is right there saying, come to me, all of you, you're tired, you're heavy laden, come to me. I'll give you rest. Take it to the Lord. Folks, that is God's rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, Father, we can't even come up with words to describe you, but you are amazing. You are awesome. In all power, Father, in everything. Lord, we look at your creation and we are in awe. Father, we look at what you've done for us, and we are in awe. And Father, these are the times we need to say, I want to just worship my God. I want to praise my God. I want to sing to my God. I want to pray to him. I want to, I want to read his word. I want to observe everything about my Lord and Savior. I want to take him in. I want to breathe him in and out. I want Christ to be everything in my life. Father, these are the days of observance for us. And it could be any day, and it could be any time. And that's what I'm praying for, for every heart, Lord, here today that have, has heard your word. I pray, Lord, that we begin to see you as our Sabbath rest. We know our eternal glory, Father, is waiting for us. We know that we are eternally secure. That inheritance waits for us, just as you wait for us. We know that. But right now, Lord, we can tap into that by surrendering all of these things to you. You tell us to. Why would we forfeit that? Why would we needlessly bear these things when you have offered your rest to us right here and now? Father, my challenge for this family and myself is that we, like your verse said, come to you. Father, I don't, if it's problems or sorrows, whether it's any kind of trouble, Lord, we all, we all face different circumstances and situations. But Father God, the one same true God is always there. Our unchanging God is always there. And my prayer is, Father, is that we all start to come to you. And every day, help us realize that every day can be a day of worship, not just Sunday morning. Father, we can come to you and praise and we can honor you constantly because Christ is the substance it's not about the day, it's about the substance, who we're honoring, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus. I pray for that for this church family right now, Lord. Lord, again, I just want to lift up Israel to you. I lift up Israel for protection, to guide their leadership, Lord. I pray for the captives, Father, to be returned. I pray for, again, like we talked about with your peace, only beyond our understanding, the only the kind of peace, Father, that we're praying for is for those people that have lost all those children, 
grandmothers, parents, those that have died in this war, Lord, we are praying for those that are left that are dealing with that pain, that they do not forfeit peace but turn to you. So we just lift up Israel to you now, and we lift up our church, Father. We lift up that you protect the church. Help us see that you are present in our lives. You are not some far-off, impersonal God. You are right there. If we would just come to you, you would give us that rest. So, Father, let us look to your word for that. Help us, guide us. Let your spirit convict and lead us to that place. That is my prayer for this church. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.